Hello and welcome back to Walk the Cinema Podcast. Today we're joined by Bruce from Find Your Film and we're going to be talking about The Innocents. But first, a word from our sponsor. So we're here with our new guest that we never had before, so I'm going to let him introduce himself. Uh, my name is Bruce, uh, Bruce Perky. I am one of the three hosts of the Find Your Film podcast, and I think you've had uh, Eric on here twice, I think, yeah. I believe. Yeah. Uh, he has said, like, hey, you should hit him up if they might want to do a show. And I said, cool, because I don't talk enough, apparently, so I need to talk more. <laughs> so um, I also do, once a month, uh, we also split duties and help out with the Cinematics podcast as well. Uh, but Find Your Film is kind of our main home. And uh, we talk about, well, kind of like you guys do sometimes new movies and sometimes you do evergreen movies. It just kind of depends on what you're doing. It looks like like you go through a whole Oscar thing, but then other times you'll do, you know, Frankenstein yeah. trilogy. So uh, <laughs> we're similar. Every episode, we usually have two or three brand new or upcoming releases. And then we will have some just recommendations from whatever year that we discovered. And then I do um, over here. Sorry, I'm making noise over here in my my abode. I have a box, and it's full of little slips of paper. Mm -hmm. And uh, I once a week will pick a movie out of there to watch the next week. So every week there's a box movie that at least I watch, and sometimes the other hosts watch as well. And last week we did Buffaloed, which I think one of you had suggested. Yeah, I did suggest that. So that's <laughs> yeah. I haven't been able to to watch it yet, but. Um... Very excited. Did you I did you like it? I did like Buffalo. I said it was the better version of The Wolf of Wall Street. Mm. That was my hot take. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm definitely going to watch the episode. I just haven't gotten around to it yet, but it's all good. There's so much podcast material out there. Yeah. <laughs> always, always busy too, you know. So but yeah, so the movie that we picked for today was The Innocence. Mm -hmm. Um who would like to give a brief synopsis of, of what that movie is? I'm going to let Bruce do it because he picked it. Yeah, <laughs> I picked it um, for a couple of reasons. Um, I, well, first of all, it's one of those movies that now you can't even hardly find because you put in the innocence as a search term and now you're going to get either the remake or you're going to get maybe if even worse, it might pop up and give you the turning which happened, what, two years ago? Mm -hmm. And uh, now there's a brand new movie that's unrelated absolutely from Scandinavia called The Innocence, which just came out uh, this last three or four months ago. So, uh, which isn't a bad movie either, but this is different. different. Uh, and as far as why I picked it, uh, this, one of the very first seminal movies of my life, getting me into horror when I was like four or five, I watched The Haunting, the original Haunting, and forever, that was my favorite movie. And I had seen The Innocence maybe back in my teens and it didn't make much of an impact. And then I recently rewatched it probably three or four years ago. And I was like, wow, as I grow, grow up or grow old, uh, The Innocence hits me more now than The Haunting does. And we can mm -hmm. talk about why that might be. Uh, and I think The Innocence is actually a, a pretty fantastic, old school, haunted ghost story movie that actually to me still has the ability to be somewhat shocking which mm -hmm. is surprising from a movie in 1961 so that's that's kind of my intro to it i think that's interesting that this is one of like that got you into horror movies because my first horror movie was the others which is an adaptation of the same story yep so that's i think that's really cool <laughs> it just happened that way and 
that one also left such an impact on me, maybe because it's the first or just because it's a good story, but it really did like get me into wanting to watch more horror movies when I was a kid. How did it work for you? And Kate, you can, is it Kate? Is that how you usually like to go by? Yeah. Kate, okay. You, you pop in too, because if you like horror, I don't know for me and what you guys think, but for me, it's like when I'm a little kid, I'm scared by it. But it's that it's that actual fear that keeps drawing you back because like you kind of want to conquer it, but also the fact that it can have such an effect on you as opposed to just I don't know pick your Disney movie when you're a kid, which you like, but it doesn't affect you like viscerally. Right. So I was terrified, and then my mom yeah. didn't want me to do it. Like my cousin gave me the DVD to put on, and it does the, like the curtain scene that the innocence also does, and that was so scary to me because I didn't know what was going to happen. I don't know the tropes. I don't know how jump scares work so that's just even more effective when you're a kid and you're just learning about the genre mm-hmm. i think my my intro to, to horror movies was kind of um i don't want to say tainted but i was really really frightened by the movie um signs when i was 10 years old because it dealt with aliens and for some reason I was always terrified of the world like ending and you know being taken over by aliens so I was genuinely terrified after I watched the movie Science and then I like never wanted to watch another horror movie ever again ever so I think it wasn't until I was kind of a uh, late into high school when I tried to start getting into horror movies and they were kind of like the cheap kind of horror movies the ones that you'd find on Netflix that were you know no one knows about them because they're they weren't very big budgeted or impactful in any way um they're just kind of there to to jump scare you or to you know do their best to Mm. freak you out but it wasn't anything crazy so I'm just now I'm starting to get into like classic horror movies and like you know yeah because this was a first for you Mm -hmm. you hadn't seen it yet yeah. I'd seen it once, and I think the thing that like really stuck stuck with me, even though you know it's a horror movie, I think the cinematography was what really stuck for me, and visually I couldn't forget this movie, and I couldn't forget the story because I already knew it as well. But I don't know, cinematography is still what works best in this for me. Yeah, I agree, and that's it's kind of renowned for that. It's renowned for a few things, but the cinematography especially, which is by Freddie Francis, I do believe um famous actually very famous cinematographer eventually mm-hmm. i didn't look up all the, the titles but if i remember correctly like glory and i want to say the straight story and i think he did uh dune the original david lynch dune he's done a ton of stuff so yeah and i think his early start he also i want to say he might have directed some hammer films mm-hmm. as well so he has some horror roots as well, I believe, Freddie Francis. And there's a lot of, you probably read some of the trivia too. There's a lot of stuff about Freddie Francis in the <laughs> trivia as well, because this, this movie's got a lot of uh, odd uh, cinematography tricks and quirks that are kind of unusual, especially for a horror movie that's, you know, how big of a budget was this horror movie? It was probably mid for that era, mm-hmm. but it probably wasn't like considered like a A-level studio release. You know, they're not they're not putting this out there to get all the big bucks i don't think in 1961 right these british releases at the time hammer had a lot of them that were popular yep so i don't know if that was the association at the time but like do you have this horror movie coming off of britain it's gonna be like one of those monster adaptations that hammer does 
So I don't know financially how this worked out, but I mean, this movie's still super important and a lot of people bring it up all the time. Even if, you know, it's the more hardcore fans and the ones that go further into the timeline of film, but it's a movie that was always in my radar and I was excited for you to watch it for the first time. Mm -hmm. So Kate, what was your first impressions of it? Because I mean, you're coming in cold, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, you know, it does a good job at being a horror movie without making me feel super like on edge all the time. You're kind of just watching it through the the lens of this um not she's not a school teacher but a uh, governess mm-hmm. um and she's coming into this situation kind of blind she doesn't really know these children or you know she I, I get the impression or at least I think she they kind of mentioned that this is her kind of first ever thing doing yeah. on her own um she was like living with her family I think before this so um you're kind of like going through the journey with her and as she's learning things you're learning things too and you're trying to figure out like is this all in her head or is this stuff that's actually happening and she's not crazy Mm. you're kind of confused too and I think that that is part of like what yeah is like the horror aspect of this movie but I also think before that it sets it up as like such a good situation for her because the kids are nice to her Mm -hmm. like even before the the boy comes into the picture the girl is super nice to her and I think then you you start to trust the kids yourself mm-hmm. and then when it switches out on you where like the kids could be possessed or the kid the boy could be just like terrible <laughs> yeah. like that kind of works more because you you learn to like them a lot because they're great actors by the way which is not the easiest thing to get like two incredible child actors is a hard ask but it really works from that sense too for the horror of it towards the end. Yeah, I agree. Um, I forget that the girl that is in this movie, she goes on and goes, does a couple other pretty famous things. I, I'd have to look her up again. Mm-hmm. I want to say that she might've ended up in like the legend of hell house or something at some point. I could be totally crazy about that. Anyway, <laughs> beside the point I was going to say, so we talked about the cinematography. We'll go back to that a little bit, but I mean, uh, and you're talking about kind of this the creepy classic setup and the but this is definitely one of the you'd have to say the seminal creepy kid movie of all time mm-hmm. too probably right I mean yeah. to the point that it's 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 almost I could see some people watching this and thinking it's laughable because they're so overtly creepy you know <laughs> like they're <laughs> like do 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 turtles the tortoises swim you know that little girl she's sitting by the edge of the lake which is also an awesome scene but I could also see people going like oh my god this is so over the top. Mm-hmm. Um, how did that kind of play for you? Like, that's always something for me too. Like, I mean, I'm looking at an old movie and I kind of take it for granted because I've grown through a lot of these decades. But when you're younger and you see this, it's got to be even more dated. Like, does that just grain of salt or do you just look at it and go like, eh, it's old. What do you expect? I'm kind of more of along the lines of, oh, it's kind of old. What do you what do you expect? Um, I think you got to buy into the mood. Yeah, I definitely think that you, you have to be in like the mindset of this movie. Um, but I feel like when I was watching it, you do kind of, the kids are likable, especially at the beginning when, you know, you just have this sweet little girl that just gravitates towards a mother figure at like every turn and she's sweet. And then the, the, you hear stories about the boy, but when that he got expelled from his boarding school, but then when you actually meet him, he's just a polite little gentleman 
And, you know, as the movie goes on, yeah, they start to exhibit behaviors that are are creepy, mm-hmm. like asking weird questions or being kind of vague with their with their answers or like uh, Flora, the girl, just for some reason, knowing that her brother was going to be coming home. Like, you know, that would be kind of a creepy thing if it were to happen in real life. Like, oh, that's so weird. Did you, how how would you have known that, you know? But I think it, with this movie, I think it still does a good job with still maintaining that, like, they could just be doing weird kid things. Kids are weird. They say weird things all the time without, like, meaning anything by it. The location and even the set design is, like, it's so empty and so big that sometimes they gotta make up stories to entertain themselves maybe or you know they're isolated they don't know a lot of what's going on outside so they have weird questions and you know they gotta entertain themselves their kids and you see the mass emptiness of the it's beautiful like their house is beautiful but it's empty and it's very large and there's barely anyone in it so i don't know kids Kids make up stories all the time, especially with their siblings. So that could could excuse some of the creepiness, maybe. I mean, and I guess it does, because you know, I guess it makes people's it... opinions about the ending if it's true or not. Yeah, or it makes it imagining. plausible, right? It yeah. makes it plausible. Like, like you can imagine the kids stuck in this giant mansion or this country estate, all pretty much alone with what a caretaker, like a housekeeper, and a what mm-hmm. a, they say a cook and a I don't know, groundskeeper or something. Yeah. yeah, like two or three like people that are just working there. And yeah, you'd have this big internal life, you'd think. Like as a kid, a small kid, you're going to be making up games. And you even see it when they just, there's this great scene. I want to say it's about the midpoint when they kind of put on this kind of almost like a play. Like they get all dressed up mm-hmm. and come downstairs and they do this whole thing. And, and that's when the, the little boy does this whole... Uh, super creepy like a soliloquy or whatever it is mm-hmm. you know about the grave and all this stuff and you're like okay it's a little weird but also it kind of fits like and i think that's definitely something they were shooting for with this movie they were shooting for absolute ambiguity like yeah. they wanted it to be absolutely balanced that you you can decide it's all really happening there's ghosts and possessions and and evil in in intruding into these kid kids and you know infecting everything or something else is happening with deborah carr which i mentioned deborah carr she's pretty great in this too as the governess what is her name in this movie i don't know if i wrote it down i think it's miss gibbons or something like that yeah miss giddens yes miss giddens and the kids are miles and flora we didn't mention that (laughs) there's some great little like rich kid names yes Um, (laughs) but miss giddens deborah carr her character, now that's something like I want to kind of interesting to hear your takes on her character because a lot is discussed about what is exactly going on with her. <laughs> like, what are the, yeah. the takes with her? I mean, I, I also was kind of curious to know what other people thought about this because, I mean, I did a little bit of reading about it because I know this was based off of a um, novella, which I think is more set in stone that it was a supernatural the play is set in stone or maybe it's the play i don't i don't remember but i don't know if the book is but the play is set in stone yeah where it is more supernatural where this movie kind of takes it down the middle where it could be supernatural it could not be it's kind of up for you to decide but with her character i i my opinion is that it's all in her head Mm -hmm. and based on her personal experiences with 
with religion and, and sexuality. Yeah, I mean, I think she's sexually repressed and she's obsessed with the idea of innocence mm-hmm. with the kids. I mean, some people say that she's like pedophilic and she's obsessed with children, which I think it's a little too far. I don't think we see that. But I do see her being obsessed with the idea of children being innocent. Mm-hmm. And doing no no wrong. Yeah. So like when the kids do start to kind of act out, and like they're gonna, I feel like they're gonna act out because they're like they're a they're kids, but also they they live in a situation where they they're orphans. They have an uncle that takes care of them that has that wants nothing to do with them. Right. And the people before the story started, the people that they were closest to, both died. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's a miracle that there is well behaved and as good as they are at the start. So. I mean, I, I personally think it's kind of all in her head and based on like what she thinks the perfect child is and like what she thinks um, demonic possession kind of looks like. And it's definitely got that kind of hardcore, I don't know if Victorian is the right terminology, but that kind of hardcore Victorian kind of um, the taboo of any sexuality for her. So mm-hmm. there's the idea she got super repressed. So there's this kind of weird combo where she's, she's trying to protect their innocence, mm-hmm. you know, from these debauched spirits, like these mm-hmm. two that were, that they even have that little, that little aside, like how the, they would, they would do things where the kids could see it. You know, there was that whole, that whole little bit in there, that yeah. idea. And it's like, she's, you could see it as her falling into kind of a double thing, like wanting to protect them and keep them pure, but also this strange like allure of like, what was that like with those two, you know, this groundskeeper and this woman, oh my gosh, what was, and you can see that she's kind of like in this almost like a a fever dream, Mm -hmm. you know, like she can't escape it. And it, it gets more and more like that as the movie goes on too, which is kind of interesting how they do that. So the question always becomes, are they or aren't they, you know? <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, I just feel like this is all in her head. And I think it has to do with, like, the fact that they are in such a secluded place. Mm-hmm. Those those feelings of, of I, mean, I mean, the movie starts off with her kind of praying for, for the kids and, like, you know. Yep just her experience with that so and other workers that were there kind of did like lose it so mm-hmm. it's not like it's new to the the situation where someone could go into this house and then not come out so i mean yeah i also got the idea that was in her head but i think the movie is trying to be ambiguous and make you decide what you think like you have the scenes where and we won't I guess well, we're kind of going all over the place as far as spoilers go, but yeah. you, know, you have the scenes where you see the quote spirits, mm-hmm. but she's always there. Like you yeah. always feel it's like from her point of view and the other people don't say they see him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They always so that... deny it. They always say that I never saw it. There was nobody up here on this tower. Yeah. That's or... when the boy makes it really obvious that he doesn't see anything. Yeah. And he's, he's losing it at her because she's being crazy. Mm-hmm. In his eyes, she's being crazy. In her eyes, he's being the crazy one. But yeah, I tend to to just think that she's imagining it and she's losing it because of all of repressions and just being in that new situation that's scary. And I don't know. It, 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 is, it is ambiguous, though, at the end of the day. I don't, 
I don't I don't think the director or the writers because I know they they brought Truman Capote for this and, and I don't think yeah. they're gonna be that easy with the movie where like oh no she's imagining it I think they do want you to leave the movie with a feeling of I don't really know what happened and it could go either way and there's excuses for it to go either way and I think if I read correctly, that Truman Capote was a really big part of that specific thing you're saying. Because I think that there was a different versions of the script and he kind of cut a lot of the a lot of the stuff that would make you lean one way or another. Mm-hmm. I think he really wanted to have that ambiguity in there and that that really like we talked about, like that fever dream aspect of it, mm-hmm. where you can imagine both sides being a case. Um what was I gonna bring up? I was gonna bring up something about oh some of the technical stuff I think is really interesting. Oh, one other thing. Again, all of my brain's like <laughs> scattered here. Yeah, uh, first of all, I also kind of have a weird feeling that this has shining vibes to some degree as well. Like there is some shining aspects to this. You know, the person from outside going, becoming kind of a caretaker. Are mm-hmm. there ghosts? Aren't there ghosts? Are they going mad? There's kids. There's a lot of like weird shining um things in there as well. So I don't. I just wonder how much this affected Stephen King when he was writing that. I have a feeling it has to have been kind of influential to his mindset um it's just a side but yeah. i definitely <laughs> technical would agree with that because it, it does give off the vibe of like here's a creepy kid and we're not sure if like the ghosts are real or if this is just a case of insanity due to mm-hmm. the locale the like loca- taking yeah. over you and making you go nuts because it's so isolated yeah that makes sense i didn't think of that though well, and even the aspect of the sexuality mixed mm-hmm. with violence towards kids, which you have directly happen mm-hmm. in The Shining as well with the whole, you know, uh, whatever she is uh, in the bathroom. And then he's all the kids like choking. And there's right before that, the kid said, you choked me. And there's just all this weird stuff. Is he abusing Danny? Is it yeah. like there's a lot of stuff, stuff going on there, abuse versus sexuality versus violence versus possession there's a, all those things are kind of intermixed in the shining as well so it's interesting that those two movies what how long are they approximately 30 30 years apart yeah. yeah and kubrick wasn't dumb and stephen king wasn't dumb and i'm sure we're both inter- influenced by a pretty big movie from way back then at some some yeah. level i think yeah. Uh, so what about tech? So we talked about uh, Freddie Francis technical stuff. What technical stuff stuck out to you guys God. in the filmmaking itself? If anything, <laughs> I mean, I think it really was a cinematography that stuck with me for the longest time, more than even the story. It's just so haunting and beautiful. And the, the set design again, works really well for me. I don't really remember the score too much. I'm sure it's good. Mm-mm. But I don't. I don't really remember it much. Mm. I know that I noticed that when I mean they kind of pointed out in the movie that uh, Flora, whatever song she's humming, is the same song that's in like the music box that mm. belonged to the um, old governess, which is which further I guess adds evidence to um, Mrs. G- Miss Giddens, uh, <laughs> you know, case against that this is demonic possession by these debaucherous ghosts you know <laughs> that want to to live out their romance yeah. through these two young children so, i like that aspect i guess a couple of things that stuck me on the technical stuff i was reading about it and it was kind of interesting so we talked about freddie francis and um when he made this he really wanted it to be different than 
the hammer stuff because the hammer stuff you think of i don't know how familiar you guys are with hammer films but very lurid very bright very colorful very yeah. gothic um lots of really bright red fake blood but that was kind of their you know <laughs> calling card you know busty women and fake blood and vampires and monsters that was kind of their thing but uh this one it's very well first of all it's black and white obviously mm -hmm. oh that's another thing this has the aspect ratio this is cinemascope this is like I read this was one of, if not the first movies that they allowed to be released in black and white and CinemaScope hmm. because CinemaScope, you know, is like wider screen than like we get now, even with uh, like the Avengers Endgame is not CinemaScope. It's not as wide as this movie is. And for this movie to be such a wide screen is really kind of odd. And uh, so it really changes kind of the way that the the shots are displayed to us. So when you see some of those shots where it's like the, the, that marsh, and everything and you can have these like hard balance of you know her on the side and the kid in the middle and then way in the distance in the swamp you have you know a, a, an apparition mm -hmm. which kind of gives it a more it strangely makes it kind of isolated like you the expanse of it i think makes it feel kind of isolated yeah but then on top of that he did a bunch of stuff with weird filters they did uh there's a whole sequence where she's walking around with the candelabra which is really really um well done and they used super super bright super high burning candle wicks they said because they wanted it to, to go to be able to, to illuminate it you know with just the 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 candlelight and then the last thing was if you notice the daylight scenes there's all these daylight scenes where she's out basically tripping out or doing whatever she's doing and she's yeah. seeing bugs and statues and <laughs> she's all this stuff's happening to her out in the gardens like the gardens are very you know, influential to her mindset and they're super bright. They're almost blown out how bright they are. And I was reading and he said that the uh, filmmaker, Freddie Francis, I guess he had so many lights on the set that, um, Deborah Carr would have to like wear like sunglasses in between scenes. And they were saying <laughs> like, are you trying to blind us? Like he was, he was just overblowing it with lights because he wanted us this super bright horror in super bright is was probably very uncommon back then as well like i can't think of much of anything that had horror in sunlight with where you could see everything you know it's not in the shadows and you know there's that in there too but there's a lot of scenes where it wasn't that so it's a lot harder to create horror with light than it is in the shadows so that that is commendable yeah. yeah and i think that it that, that in in terms of like creating that horror the the scene that i think that i um liked the most i guess in terms of i think it ramping up um is when the governess uh kind of confronts flora in the little gazebo um yes. where she just keeps yelling at her and yelling at her that that admit that you can see the apparition of the old governess across the pond and it's it's frightening for a little girl and I feel like that's the I, I feel like that's the moment for me where I feel like I made up my mind that this is all in um Miss Giddens head because I feel like she took it way too far and if this little girl was being possessed a it's not her fault that if this was like <laughs> she yeah. was possessed it's not her fault so why she's losing it on this on this child you know doesn't really do much of anything to help the situation but like if it's all in her head then she's 
completely kind of broken this this little girl down right she doesn't even want to be at the house anymore and we know she loves the house she loves being there with her brother and and the the rest of the 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 crew that's there mm-hmm. and in that moment after she's just been kind of mentally abused in that sense like she's she's completely broken and doesn't want to be anywhere near this location anymore yeah you feel for the kids in a lot of these scenes because she's just so aggressive she's yeah i I mean i i get it that she's frustrated and it makes sense Mm -hmm. that she's just looking for someone to agree with her but yeah you do feel really bad for the kids which is an interesting trick because, you, like you say, you start at the beginning and you're just like, she's a totally sympathetic character that you're on the ride with. Mm-hmm. Like, you're absolutely in her camp at stage one. Yes. Kind of like uh, Walter White, first episode of Breaking mm-hmm. Bad. You're mm-hmm. absolutely in his camp. But by the time you get to that scene, like you're talking about, you're like, lady, <laughs> you're, you're going a little too hard now. You're, yeah. You are now causing the problem. You are not the solution mm-hmm. at this point. And that's when you start to have to like, that's when the movie is forcing you to kind of start to try to take sides or try to decide what's actually happening because you have to th- say, well, if they actually are possessed and they actually are spirits, then I guess you can just pretend like this isn't a kid anymore you're talking mm-hmm. to. So it's okay in quotes. Yeah. But if you're not, if that's not what's happening, then you're doing some really bad stuff to these kids. Like exactly. you said, their psyches, you're breaking that poor little girl. Like how old is she? Like five, six, Less six, I, I think mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that also brings up um we're talking about horror in daylight and I and my brain immediately goes to, like midsummer. Like yeah. that's the Same. most obvious like recent example. And like I think of it also like both movies are very gaslighty depending on how you look at it. Like super super gaslight. Like that is the other viewing of this movie, right? Is that she's essentially being kind of like gaslit. Mm-hmm. Like everybody's in on it. And they're just not admitting it, you know, like that's kind of where she's at at the end. Like, why won't you just, you know, admit it and let me save you? You know, that's kind of her attitude. Yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, even the the housekeeper, when when Miss Giddens first brings up the possibility that this demonic possession is a possibility, she's kind of like, yeah, I'm with you. Uh, At least to a certain extent. But then she won't like give all the information that um, our governess is is searching for like she won't admit like all the details of the um, relationship that happened with the old governess and the uh, groundskeeper groundskeeper um, and you know by the end of it by that scene where she yells at Flora then the housekeeper is no longer on her side she's like yeah I didn't see anything so I now you are crazy yeah so. <laughs> yeah you're hurting the kids can't let this happen yeah I'm getting them out of here. Let's get, yeah. let's, let's get in a carriage and fly this coop. But I still feel like she has, like she still believes her to a certain degree because she she leaves with Flora, but she um, lets Miles stay behind with just the governess or with Miss Giddens. And I don't know what p- purpose that could be other than like trying to really get to the bottom of it if if, if this is demonic possession or if it's not i don't know yeah it's that uh ambiguity Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's it's a. I always have a little hard time trying to figure out the the housekeeper too, because yeah. well, first of all, she's she's kind of a exposition person, right? So that's <laughs> right. kind of her character partly is just to tell us what happened, so we have an idea what the context is. Otherwise, it'd be very very hard to figure out. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think I I always thought maybe it's because she is ultimately servant class, right? Like that's mm -hmm. her role. Yes. So I think that she isn't very, and I think she's even considered in some ways lower i mean she's kind of in control of the house itself but she's kind of considered lower than the governess as far as the kids go so i think she's yeah. kind of she's kind of hesitant to really kind of overstep her bounds maybe yeah. i think i guess that would be like somewhat of a understandable explanation i guess for her that that would make sense to me i hadn't really like considered i mean it, that. And that's what we see like yeah. the, the new woman comes in and she takes over everything and the, the, the lady that's been there for a while just kind of lets it happen because that's her role. And she accepts that. So, yeah. Her character's a little weak in that sense. Yeah. <laughs> She's definitely a plot, somewhat of a plot device. <laughs> so. Yeah. But that's okay. I mean, you got to have something. Yeah. The only other thing you're going to have is you're going to have either like, um, you know, Deborah Carr's character finding a diary, you know, and mm -hmm. you have all this voiceover or, or the kids will tell her everything, which that would be kind of odd because you don't, wanted to come out that way yeah. so i mean as far as that goes it's kind of nice to have this and and the housekeeper character also is kind of like bothered because she actually you know didn't like what was going on you know around the kids before so it, it does logically sort of make sense but it's also a little bit of a plot device yeah. um what's something else i was gonna read? oh so if we really want to get to it then what actually happens at the end do mm -hmm. we know what actually happens at the end or don't we ever know because it's so subjective at that point that's a good question because i because looking at it through how i take the movie is that it's all in her head and she starts yelling at miles the same way that she kind of did with with flora but he's kind of fighting back whereas flora didn't really fight back mm -hmm. she she kind of did but it wasn't a t to such intensity that i think miles does he starts calling her names and you know just says things that like children shouldn't be saying um and uh, just in the the ensuing her yelling at him all this other stuff he kind of he just he did he dies in and he collapses he collapses yeah. i i think he i think that he dies like, right 100 percent, like he's dead so how he ultimately succumbs that's where it gets like, is it supernatural? Cause like, is it, did the, the spirit, you know, kill him because he was found out or is it because this poor child was just so stressed out and, you know, not doing well that he just, he dies because of her, um, just harping on him. I don't know, but I think that she probably like, in in my opinion, I think that he she just stressed him to a point where he just succumbed to like the stress. You gotta be really stressed to just die like that. <laughs> yeah, I know. But that's just how I how I view it. I know, right? It's 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 weird, right? It's like he definitely. I I agree. He definitely dies. Is there something that she doesn't? That are we in such a, such a subjective state of her mindset that we don't see what actually happens because. Mm. She, like it's almost been blocked out of our vision yeah. because we're kind of stuck in her vision or maybe they just don't want to show it because it's, you know, 1961. They don't want to show someone kill a kid yeah. if that actually happens. Or, 
I mean, you don't know. Or, or the other reading is that he's not actually dead, but I think the movie wants you to believe he's actually dead. Yeah. I, I think so. And I think they even said they originally cut out. There was a scene at a funeral. I think the movie started at a, at a funeral instead mm -hmm. of her, that praying scene. Cause it begins and ends with her praying. Yeah. So over the closing credits is also her praying, yeah. which it is kind of interesting. Cause I think it takes on a different meaning. Like at the beginning, you think she's praying like, kind of just praying for children and for goodness and all this innocent kind of stuff. But at the end, you're like, she's actually kind of maybe praying for her own soul. Mm. Like she's praying for forgiveness <laughs> for whatever she did. In the ending. Yeah. We, we just hear her pray and see her hands over the the credits. And it, it, it hits different than when it begins. It's definitely a different pray because she's trying to get something different out of it. But that could also just be because the events that happened and she saw a kid die, which we don't see how the kid dies. Might have been something worse. Might have been her that did it. So she could definitely be praying for that forgiveness. And I don't know. It is a hard ending to like put a finger on and be like, this is what happened. That's not what it wants you to get out of it anyways. So I don't have that too many strong opinion opinions about how it ends yeah and i'm kind of in the same boat i i think it's of all the ambiguities it might be the one of the most ambiguous things other than mm -hmm. the very final period on the sentence which is the kiss mm -hmm. yeah and what the hell <laughs> and as you can imagine i read a few things about it like that definitely they the the studio did not want that left in there like yeah. no one I could I can imagine why not. <laughs> and they fought hard for it, or the director and had fought hard for it. And that's one of those moments in the movie where you're just like, oh wow. Yeah. yeah. And Audible that, <laughs> What does that what is that? Yeah. Like what is that saying about her character? Like what is yeah. that? That was something that I also like thought a, a lot about, and I still don't really have an answer as to why I think that that they took it down that road my just kind of general thoughts are that it has something to do with her perceived sense of innocence I guess and like how she kind of views herself I guess where I think that obviously she's an she's an adult and she acts like an adult but I think that a lot of her mindset might actually be kind of child childish I guess I don't know I have no idea why she did it. It is just like, wow, okay. And that's why people bring the pedophilia element to it, which I don't think that scene is enough to justify her being a total creep. But I don't really have a strong opinion on it because I don't know. I mean, you got to be in the mind of the director at that point to, to fully know why he decided to go with it. And fight for it being in the final cut. I mean, it's bold. It's a bold move. It's, it is. Mm -hmm. I don't think you forget it very quickly. And I like that's what I said like about shocking. Still, like, well, first of all, I don't. It would not even probably be filmed now. I don't think. Not, not an American. <laughs> not an American. No, I don't think. No. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, much. I think it's a highly symbolic moment. But I honestly don't absolutely have a. A, a take on it either it's 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 interesting <laughs> put it that That's, way i don't think it hurts the movie no. i don't think it hurts it or makes it i don't think it, it it makes it or 
kills it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But it definitely, if nothing else, it just kind of shows the depths of her break with reality or something. You know, I think something like that, you know, at that moment, she's fully lost any sense of her, her moral slash organized chaste, you know, school, mar school marm type self. That is, that's gone. It's yeah. totally gone. <laughs> Nothing's there anymore. Yeah. Um, what last things or what things would you bring up? Any other little tidbits or thoughts? I think we covered everything that I, w I was planning on. I don't know yeah, if you have my anything. big thing was just like the ending scene and whether or not like you thought that this was supernatural or all in her head and just mm. her, you know, her own thoughts and and upbringing i guess projections yeah and... projections that's the word but oh yeah there's there was one thing i just remembered because you we talk about the history of the groundskeeper with the former woman mm -hmm. that was there and there's a sequel to this that is uh about that it is like the story of the groundskeeper and how he like corrupted everyone but i couldn't find it so i can't say much about it but I'm very interested in watching it. I think it stars Marlon Brando, unless I'm imagining that. Really? Yeah, that I sounds do not very know that. interesting. It's same house, same kids, totally different actors, I would assume. But it is just about the the background of the groundskeeper and how he destroyed the morals of the house before he died. Hmm. And I wish I could find it. It sounds super interesting. But Was I it like an actual direct to? like a direct sequel or was it kind of like a oh this is a um I'm like inspired by the... imdb had it as a direct sequel but i'm not sure hmm. again i couldn't find it so i ended up not reading much about it because i couldn't watch it and reading more was just make me frustrated that i couldn't watch it <laughs> i i was looking up i did look up the thing i was mentioning too kind of talking about it little odd things about it um the girl that played flora was Pamela Franklin. I think she may still be alive, actually. Um, she was also in a couple other good movies from that era. She was in The Legend of Hell House in 1973. If you've never seen The Legend of Hell House, it's a loose version of The Haunting, um, kind of. It has Roddy McDowell, and she plays... She's a young... I think she might be young 20-something at that point, or maybe late teen. Uh, she also plays a really great character as a little older girl in the movie, the nanny starring Betty Davis. And if you've never seen the nanny, that's a hammer film of the, so hammer did a whole bunch of weird offshoots too. Like after psycho, there's a bunch of crazy, crazy old lady movies. You know, mm -hmm. there was all the, the whatever happened to baby Jane and there was straight jacket with Joan Crawford. And then there was the nanny and, uh, Betty Davis is the nanny, and uh, this girl that played Flora is the, the little girl that lives upstairs who's a little bit older than the kid that lives downstairs with the nanny, and she, like, smokes, and she's kind of cool <laughs> and mod in, like, late 60s uh, England. So yeah. if you ever want to see more of that same girl when she grows up, it's kind of fun to watch her. I also watched another Hammer about a crazy old lady <clears throat> called uh, Die, Die, Darling. Mm-hmm. And that was also a really cool one, Re very bright, colorful one. That ends up just being about a crazy lady that wants to kill you. Yeah. yeah. There's, a whole, very fun. <laughs> there's definitely a whole weird subgenre in that period with 
yeah. uh, crazy older actresses playing crazy older ladies in in horror movies, and then offshoots of Psycho. You know, the frenzy and schizoid, and there's all these weird like Psycho esque movies that are not very good usually, but there's a few in there. Um, what do you do next? Rate the movie? Yeah, yeah. Rate, the movie. <laughs> rate the movie. Uh, you don't have to because some people don't like to but i i gave it a seven out of ten uh it's really good it just i don't know i maybe it's because i grew up watching the others and that was like my first horror movie but that was more effective to me horror wise yeah it's not as well shot and the kids are not as good actors and even nicole kidman might not be as good but it's just more endearing to me so i prefer the others but this is really good and it, it, it sticks with you. And if you haven't seen any movie based on that story, this is the one to go to, I would say. And it's, more turning, it's a lot more ambiguous than the other. So go to the turning last. <laughs> That's the very yeah, last one to go probably. to. <laughs> How about you, Kate? I also gave it a seven. Um, I'm not big on horror movies, typically. Um, but... I definitely enjoyed this more than I thought I would based on, you know, just the little synopsises that I've read before we watched the movie. Um, I do. I like how ambiguous it is. I like how that I have a different opinion on on how the, the movie plays out than like you or him or, you know. Um, and I don't know, you really I think in my experience or in my viewpoint, I was really sympathetic to the children in the movie mm -hmm. and you know i think that they did a really good job so um not sure if i'll revisit this anytime soon <laughs> but seven out of ten i thought it was pretty solid cool and then um before you guys send me on my way um what <laughs> new movies should i put in the box since i have to do that all the time oh. i have to i made my own set challenge for myself <laughs> you haven't gotten to mine yet so i don't <laughs> which one did you give me i was it angst uh visitor q Oh, Visitor Q. That's right. That's yeah. right. I know you mentioned Angst. Now you're the, one of the only people I know that has seen that has seen Angst. I watched it for my birthday. Sad. She doesn't understand why. Yeah, it's such a happy-go-lucky movie. <laughs> yeah, though. I know. He made me watch it with him, and I was like, "This is the worst movie I've ever seen." It's <laughs> not like in terms of of bad, just in terms of how it made me feel. It right. does not make. It's an icky movie. It's exactly. Icky. But um, it's very unique for its time, and I think it's the only movie that guy directed. I think. Okay, I think I'll go with. Another movie where an old lady kisses a kid. <laughs> That's a subgenre. <laughs> what the peeper saw. What the peeper saw. Yeah, it's an Italian giallo. Oh yeah, I haven't seen it. I got. I have seen Visitor Q, believe it or not, but uh, I have not seen What the Peeper Saw. All right, but Visitor Q is still there because I saw it like in two thousand and one or nineteen ninety nine, whenever it came out, and it's mm -hmm. a messed up movie. Yeah. Uh, okay, What the Peeper Saw sounds good. And how about for you, Kate? I don't watch enough movies to give recommendations. I feel like everyone's seen all the movies that I've seen, and I don't want to keep you like. No, I'll I'll watch them again if I haven't seen them for a while because it, it's easy for me not to have seen them for a while now. <laughs> but I mean, it's just something. The idea behind it is it's something that you think doesn't really get enough love or doesn't get talked about enough. Like it's just mm. it's just fallen off the radar. But you think it's pretty cool. Yeah. Um. I guess I'll go with Lars and the Real Girl. Cool. I think it has the same vibe as her. And her is a lot more talked about and beloved, but I actually kind of like Lars and the Real Girl a lot better. <laughs> I think it's a more endearing story, so I think it gets I, overlooked in that sense. <laughs> I agree, and I don't think I've seen that for at least 
probably 15 years. I don't know when it came out. The early thousands? Yeah, I think so. Mid 2000, maybe. 2007. 2007. So it's probably been since around that time that I've seen it. I might have. Yeah, I think I only seen it once, maybe twice. It might have been on a cable or something and I might have gone by it and watched some of it. But it's been a long time. Right. Ryan Gosling. Wait. Yeah, Yeah. Ryan Gosling. Yep. I gotta believe that's gotta be one of the most underknown ryan gosling movies it's gotta be <laughs> i don't think so it's kind of a hard if you're just talking to about it with someone it's kind of a hard sell i would say right it's but too quirky it is a little like oh <laughs> he falls in love with a it's too much to explain yeah <laughs> have you like ever some. have you ever heard of air doll no <laughs> no <laughs> it's related uh actually greg had us because he gets weird screeners and stuff it got re-released it was a japanese movie i want to say from the early mid thousands where a quote air doll Mm -hmm. um (laughs) in japan comes to life and it's the Uh movie of of her inner life and her living life uh when her owner quote owner leaves for the day she comes to life and starts exploring the world that sounds like that uh japanese pinocchio remake where Pinocchio is a sex toy. I haven't heard of that one. That myth bits with Japanese stuff. You get a lot of that kind of stuff. Yeah. I have a one that it kind of sounds like, but it's more wholesome. A movie called Life Size starring Tyra Banks and right. Lindsay Lohan. Oh, no. Where Barbie doll comes to life and, you know. And it brings us back to Gosling because he's doing the Barbie movie this there year. There we go. Or next yeah. year. It's a whole it genre that closes in on itself. Right. It really does. So wait a second. Is Ryan Gosling the only person who's ever been in love with a doll in one movie and been a doll in another movie? That's I, that's an investigation. That would be an investigation. <laughs> I would assume so, but you know. What are the odds? Who knows? He's definitely the sexiest one, I gotta say. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you guys. Thanks for having me on. Thank yeah, you for thank coming you for... on. We'll yeah, have you fun. again for sure if you want to come. Oh. Maybe we'll talk about the other movie you mentioned. What did I mention? What was the other King one? King of Comedy. Oh, King of Comedy. Yeah. yeah have you guys have both seen it? it? I have seen it. She has I not. Have not. I, I haven't too, seen a lot of things. I watched too many movies. It's my fault. Not horror? Not yeah, horror. That's good. Yep. And probably one of the most forward-thinking movies about the cult of celebrity mm-hmm. and celebrity obsession. But yes, also one of, one of the cringiest movies you'll ever see. Like, intentionally so. It's, Yeah. There's, yeah. there's very, very many awkward moments in that movie, for sure. In a good way. In a good way, yes. <laughs> Not unintentionally. Well, thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you. Go walk that cinema. <laughs>